Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Mark chapter 2, verse 23, down through chapter 3, verse 6, and you'll find that on page 838 of your pew Bible. We saw last week there was a transition point in Mark's gospel where it goes from the introduction of Jesus' ministry to now rising tension uh, over Jesus' ministry and opposition to him. And I said there were five different episodes of this particular rising tension. We look at the last two today that are really drawn together around the topic of the Sabbath. Whether or not these happen chronologically in order, we're not really sure, but Mark groups them together around this particular topic because these are two instances in which the Pharisees uh, oppose Jesus about this particular issue. And the Sabbath becomes the issue that an important question is raised upon whose authority is your life being built. And so let me read, to get, uh, let me read for us beginning in verse 23 of chapter 2. Mark writes, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to him to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Well, if the name Jack Miller means anything to you, you're likely familiar with a movement in mostly reformed churches over the last couple of decades called Sonship. Jack Miller was a Presbyterian minister. Uh, He was a man who was faithful to the gospel and began to counsel people who struggled to appropriate the gospel for themselves to believe that Jesus could love them as much as he does. And so he began to speak to them about what it means to be adopted as a child of God, thus the name sonship. Well, sonship is a movement that has caught on because many people who are bound over to legalism, to trying to earn favor with God, were really set free by a renewed understanding of the gospel of grace, in particular the doctrine of being adopted into the family of God by grace, not by works. Well, the problem came along when many people who went through this material of sonship began to tell other people who had not gone through the material that they really didn't understand the gospel very well. 
And therefore, unless they went through sonship themselves, they somehow are missing out on something that is key and instrumental to the Christian life. And I've seen in many places how this type of attitude, not the gospel message of adoption, but the attitude by some of the followers actually created great division in various churches. Those people who had gone through sonship and those people who had not gone through sonship. And what was intended to be a blessing to the church had now become a great burden to the church. Not only because it created division among the congregation, but also because it it laid upon the people of God an expectation that if you don't do this particular program, then somehow you're really missing out. And so what was intended to be a blessing really became a burden. And in a lot of ways, that's exactly what has happened with the issue of the Sabbath by the Pharisees. Now, we typically think of the Pharisees as those who are, quote, type A personalities. They're very narrow. They're rigid. They like things to be exact and just the way that they have outlined. But I think this passage reveals something far more sinister than personality types that need to be sanctified. It's really an opposition to Jesus. Look in chapter 3, verse 2. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him, that is the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. The whole point and intention of watching this show is so that they can therefore accuse Jesus and find him guilty of breaking one of their commands. And at the end, we find that the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And so what is at heart here is real opposition to Christ, a disposition towards Jesus that wants to overthrow his authority and lordship. Now, last week we saw opposition to Jesus in relation to his authority to forgive sins, in relation to his willingness to have fellowship with sinners who would receive his grace and his call to make our lives a wholesale commitment to him. And now we see there's opposition to Jesus as the giver of the law, as the one who can determine what is good and right for the church. And his intention here is to turn what has now become a burden, the Sabbath commands, once again into a blessing to the people of God. And so this issue of the Sabbath provided an opportunity for challenging Jesus' authority. Now, the Sabbath to the Jews, much like circumcision and the food laws, had become a clear indicator of whether or not you are a a faithful Jew, whether you're on the inside, whether you're in the right group and the right party. The sign of circumcision was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. It was to be an everlasting sign that was meant to show that God has made his covenant with Israel, that he has redeemed them from their sins, and now they're given over to worshiping him for the rest of their lives. And so if the Sabbath is so good and if it's supposed to be an identity marker for the people of God, well, then the Pharisees decided, well, let's set up 39 extra laws to guard the Sabbath to make sure we keep it 
just right. And so that's exactly what we find here is Jesus transgressing their man-made rules. And the Pharisees want to challenge Jesus over that. But let me mention three things from this passage that Jesus teaches. First, Jesus reveals his authority as the interpreter of the law. Jesus reveals his authority as the interpreter of the law. You may remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus repeatedly said, you have heard, but I say to you. In other words, you have heard various interpretations of the law. You have heard various additions to the law. But I will tell you what the true interpretation of the law is because I'm the real giver of the law. I have real authority because I'm the one who has given the law and embodied the law perfectly. And it's in such a conflict that Mark is anxious to show his readers this authority that Jesus possesses. In fact, in both of these episodes, most of the time is taken up with Jesus' rebuttal against the Pharisees. And the first one that we see is in verse 25 of chapter 2. Jesus said to them after their question, they asked, why are they your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. You likely remember the story. David is on the run from King Saul. Saul wants to take his life because he considers David to be a threat, much like the Pharisees consider Jesus to be a threat. And David entering in here to the tent where the priests are offering sacrifices to God, He asks, is there anything to eat? My men and I, we are famished. We have nothing. We have fled quickly and we need some type of food. And the priest says, well, the only thing here is the bread of the presence. It was bread that was put out every Sabbath freshly. And then when it was removed, only the priests were allowed to eat of it. It was a ceremonial law put in place by God himself. And what does the priest do? But he offers it to David and David eats and he gives some of it to his men as well. Now, what's Jesus doing by using this particular Old Testament example? He's saying this. First and foremost, the the ceremonial law that was given does not trump an absolute. And an absolute is simply that life is more important than the ceremonial law. And therefore, David, as the anointed of God, had every right to go in and partake of that because he was hungry. And so the Pharisees here with Jesus are not so much concerned that he is breaking a law of stealing grain, which is what the uh, the disciples are doing. They're walking along in the grain fields. They're taking the grain. The law permitted them to do that. But the Pharisees had a problem with them reaping reaping from this particular grain field on the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, if if David, if David can break the ceremonial law in order to sustain his life, then certainly one greater than David 
who is guiltless and not breaking a law, but only breaking one of your man-made commands, certainly he is guiltless before you. And then not only that episode, but also down in chapter 3, when this man with the withered hand uh, is in the synagogue and the people there, the Pharisees, want to accuse Jesus, we're told that the, Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. They were silent. In other words, they didn't know the answer to the question. They didn't know what the intent of the Sabbath was. And the answer is obvious. It's to do good. It's to to save life. It's to heal, not to kill and to destroy. Now, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying you've put so much weight on your man-made commands that want to confine you they want to restrict you in and remove all the blessing that the Sabbath has given to you. And now he says, I, the Lord of the Sabbath, am here. And I will give you the real interpretation of the law. They put too much weight on their man-made rules. It's sort of like telling your son, now son, you need to rake the yard and you can't leave the yard until you're finished the job of raking. And then your son, while he is raking, he looks across the street and a friend of his has wrecked his bike and is in pain and needs some help. But he can't leave the yard until the raking is finished. And in a sense, that's exactly what the Pharisees have done. They've built up these extra rules, man-made rules that have confined them so that no longer is the, the Sabbath a blessing for it to be full of rest, full of joy. And even able to do good and bless other people on the Sabbath because they've so distorted it. And Jesus, as he comes along in his earthly ministry, in the midst of all of these other laws that have been erected, is sort of like a magnet. And as he walks along in his earthly ministry, everything good from the law attaches to him. And everything that is corrupt, Everything that is man-made, everything that is extra-biblical just falls by the wayside. So that in Jesus we now see the clear picture of what the law is to be. Of what God intended for us in the law. The true character of the law. What we see here is Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath. That is, Lord over the law Himself. Jesus is the one who restores for us a clear understanding of what's good and right. So often the way in which we live and the way in which we view life just distorts and corrupts things. We pile things on to the law. We pile on our own expectations at times. We pile on expectations of others. It's sort of like our our tax code that... Over the years, people just keep adding to and adding to and adding to so that it's so confusing nobody can even understand it anymore. And in a way, that's what the Pharisees have done. Jesus wants to give a clear picture of what the law really is. And so following Jesus as a disciple is in part learning to submit to Him as the giver and the interpreter of the law. Do you remember the Great Commission? 
to go therefore into all nations, making disciples, what? In part, teaching them everything that I've commanded you. And so we're to submit to the good teachings of Jesus because He tells us what's truly human. He tells us what's truly biblical. He tells us what's truly godly. And as disciples, we come under His authority and receive from Him what is good and right. So often we have a tendency to think that we know what is better. That we know what is better in terms of observing the Lord's day. That we know what's better in terms of handling our own free time. That I have a right to do with it and dispense it in ways that are pleasing to me. Never really consider, what's what's Jesus' command for how I use my time? What's Jesus' command for how I use my money? For how I exercise rest and worship? On the Sabbath. And so Jesus here is saying, I'm the real interpreter of the law. But he's doing another thing here. He's revealing also that those who reject Jesus's authority use their law for selfish gain. Now, notice I said their law, because to whatever extent people reject Jesus's authority, they become a law in themselves. They either adopt other people's laws or erect their own laws for themselves. And therefore, it's done in self, for selfish gain. And there are a couple of ways that this is done. First is to make a comparison with other people. It's to make a comparison with other people. Back in chapter 2, verse 23, they were going through the grain fields and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, the first question we need to ask is, why were the Pharisees out in the grain field to begin with? Here's Jesus. He's walking along with his disciples, presumably traveling somewhere. And there just happened to be some Pharisees in the grain field, almost like special forces soldiers hiding out, camouflaged and jumping up at just the right time to say, oh, we've got you. They're waiting, lying in wait. To see how they might accuse him. Just as it says in chapter 3. And sometimes the way in which we can give ourselves to living out our law. Is just so that we can compare ourselves to others. And lie and wait until they make a mistake. But not only are they waiting for an opportunity to pounce. But they're also motivated by a sense of moral superiority. They said the question begins with, look, look, behold. In other words, Jesus, what we want you to do is look at your disciples through our eyes. We want you to look at this situation and consider it from our vantage point. Do you see what they're doing? They're trying to say, we've got the monopoly on the truth. And if you will just look at this situation from our perspective, where you'll see it too. So they're waiting to uh, accuse with uh, the law that they've erected for themselves. They're motivated by this sense of moral superiority. And they're also then making this accusation. Why are they doing what is not lawful, at least in their own eyes, on the Sabbath? In other words, those who reject Jesus' authority 
simply want to be better than everybody else. They want to have a superiority of morality. And that can be especially true as we look at the culture, can't it? We can look at ourselves and feel pretty good about ourselves. We can look at the culture and at least say, well, we're not as bad as they are. And because of that, we feel a sense of security in ourselves as, as long as we're not as bad as everybody else. And Jesus is sort of exploding this comparison that they're making. A number of years ago, I met with a college student for lunch and uh, he was part of our leadership group of students who were committed to working hard for the gospel in our particular college ministry. He wanted to sit me down and argue with me that the rest of the people on the leadership group were not pulling their weight, that they weren't doing their jobs effectively. And I sat and listened to him for quite a while. And after he got finished, I asked him the question, so why do you care so much? So why do you care so much? Because I think the reason that you care so much is really because of your arrogance. It's really because you think you're better than they are. Now, that didn't go over very well, as you can imagine. I didn't see him for about three weeks. But, you know, he came back after a few weeks and he said, you know, that stung, but you are exactly right. You're exactly right. I was looking at them through arrogant eyes and I wanted you to look at them through arrogant eyes, too. And Jesus says, look, don't use the law to make a comparison so that you feel better about yourselves. And there's another way here. That those who reject Jesus' authority use the law for their own gain. And that's in verses 2 through 5 of chapter 3. And that's uh, to make an excuse, to make an excuse actually for not fulfilling the law. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? So you can imagine a setting just like this. And Jesus looks into the back and he says, now, young man, I want you to come here. And he brings him up front and uses him as a visible example. And he asks the rest of the congregation now, is it good on the Sabbath to heal or to kill? Which is it? They have no answer. And what is we're told by Mark? And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus is angry. Why? Because he sees just how hard at heart they are. That they would actually use this man just to trap Jesus. Rather than caring for his needs, they're more concerned about manipulating him so therefore they can accuse and convict Jesus of breaking the law. Sometimes the way that people can use the law is just to make an excuse for not keeping the law. These men were hiding behind Sabbath regulations so that they didn't actually have to help this man. What they were doing was appealing to, quote, high moral ground. 
what is Jesus doing? He's, he's breaking the law. He can't heal on the Sabbath. They're appealing to high moral ground, and yet they're not keeping the law of love themselves. Sort of like political parties in Washington. One party has somebody who calls out uh, somebody else and makes a mistake in the way they speak in public. What does the other party do? They accuse them of lying and of, of misconduct. And yet they're just as guilty. But they want to appeal to that higher moral ground. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're trying to appeal to a higher moral ground that they're unwilling to keep themselves. In fact, they're so willing to do it that they're willing to call on the Herodians in verse 6 so that they might counsel with them against Jesus. They hated the Herodians. And yet they were willing to do it just so they could trap Jesus. Because you see, there's an inconsistency in the way that they apply the law. If it meets their needs, if it excuses them from certain things, well, then they will hold to it. Jesus here is simply revealing the wickedness in their own hearts. My friends, this is exactly why, quote, good people can go straight to hell. Quote, good people can go straight to hell. Because they, quote, keep the law, at least in appearance, at least on a surface level, and yet have no real intention of glorifying Christ, of loving Him, of using the law in ways that bring glory to Him. They do things for show. They compare themselves to others. They pass by poor and needy people on their way to church activities because it's an excuse not to help. Those who reject Jesus' authority are those who become a law unto themselves. And Jesus, in a sense, is saying that law is going to take you straight to hell because you will be convicted by it yourself. Well, the final thing here is this. Those who receive Jesus' authority enjoy the blessings of His law. Those who receive Jesus' authority enjoy the blessings of His law. Verse 27, He said to them, the Pharisees who didn't want the disciples to be picking grain on the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the, the Sabbath, the day of worship and the day of rest, is not meant to be kept in a, a thousand minutiae of, of laws. But rather it's to be a blessing to the people of God. So that they can rest from their labors. They can trust that God will provide for them. They can enter into His presence and worship and receive His great blessings in Christ. Jesus says, you've robbed the people. But anybody who submits to Jesus' authority can now experience what those blessings really are. I can remember in college hearing a sermon on the fourth commandment. It was probably the first time I'd really heard the fourth commandment explained. And I came to realize what a blessing it was to rest on the Lord's day. And so I tried to do all of my studying, my my labors, whatever I had to do, Monday through Saturday. And on the Lord's Day, I simply rested. And I said, well, I can't do anything because I'm not supposed to do anything. 
I don't know that my grades got any better. But certainly it was a blessing to me. And for the first time I realized, Lord, You're not trying to confine me by Your law in order to harm me, in order for it to be a burden upon me, but in order to bless me. Because Jesus' authority over our lives is meant for our good. But not only is the Sabbath made for, um, uh, made for man and not man for the Sabbath, but He shows the goodness of God's commands by healing this man on the Sabbath. Stretch out your hand, and He stretched it out, and His hand was restored. Here's a picture of what blessings ought to take place on the Lord's day. As we, as those people who have been blessed, now take the blessings into the world. That we call on the sick. That we take care of the needy. That we show acts of mercy and kindness on the Lord's day. Because we have been so blessed, we want to now show those same blessings to other people. And so when the authority of Jesus comes into our lives, the same authority that the Pharisees would reject, the authority that they would, they would argue against, that they would oppose, Jesus has come to me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I mean to bless you by everything that I command you to do. Because you see what Jesus does in the law by giving us the real interpretation and by living it out, He's showing us what real human life is to look like. He's showing us what normal life is to be. Not what we've contorted, not what we've distorted, not what we've constructed for ourselves, but rather freedom to live life as God has intended it. And when we begin to submit to His Lordship, then by His grace, He shows us the wonders and the beauties of living under His authority. Let's pray together. Lord, we do come to You as a people who at times rebel against Your authority as the lawgiver. We confess that to You and we pray, Lord, that You would work within us a renewed zeal a renewed desire to look upon Jesus as our Lord, our Master, to see him in Him clearly what You would have for us to be so that we would live for His glory and delight in His Lordship over us. Lord, we thank You for Your goodness towards us. In Christ's name, Amen.